God's Little Brown Church Sermon Series featuring Pastor Andrew Chrysler. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Today's December 4th. Um, little gray and hazy outside, but there's nothing falling from the sky. It is a beautiful day. It's a warm, balmy. It's supposed to warm up to what, 34, 35 degrees today? Woohoo! I was reading my Bible earlier this week and I came across the passage that really stopped me and really made me stop and think. And it's, I've read through the Bible many times and there's always something that, that catches my attention. I'm sure I've read it before, I'm sure it hit me before, but it certainly hit me this week as I was reading. And started stirring in, in my heart this message. The message is now, I believe. And I want to start that back in 1 Kings 17, verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> it says, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, uh, the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. To get the picture of what's going on here, to get the full understanding, I wasn't going to read the whole chapter, though we could have just read the whole chapter and, and that, that would have been it. But I'd rather talk to you about the chapter. Here is this situation you recognize Elijah. And you might recognize the passage, but you might not. So Elijah had declared to Ahab the king that by the words of my mouth, there will not be any rain until I say otherwise. God had, had put it into Elijah. Elijah declared the drought. He declared the prophecy, there will not be rain and he left. God sent him to the brook Kareth, and he went to the brook Kareth where he drank from the brook, and the, and the ravens brought him food. We know about that. That took place. And then, after a time, the brook began drying up. And God told him to go down to Zarephath, which is of uh, the nation of Sidon, modern-day Lebanon, that, that area of the world. He said, go there and meet this Sidonian woman. I have ordered this widow woman to take care of you. That's what God told Elijah. So Elijah goes, and he comes to the city of Zarephath, and there's a woman outside picking up sticks. And Elijah says, hey, can you bring me some water and bring me a morsel of bread to eat? And the woman says, as the Lord your God lives, I have just a little bit of, of meal I have just a little bit of oil, and I intend to make a cake for my son and I. We will eat it and then die. And Elijah says, basically, real New English translation, sounds like a good plan, but make me one first. She said, I just have enough for this little bit, and we're going to eat this last meal and die. And Elijah says, make me one first, because as the, you know, thus, as the Lord lives, your meal and your oil will not run out. And Elijah stays with her in the midst of this drought. 
however long it was. We know the drought was for three and a half years. We don't know how long it was into the drought that he goes to Zarephath. That's not listed. But we know he's in Zarephath. And for a time, he is staying with this woman and her son. And the meal never ran out. And the oil never ran out. And God continued to take care of this woman. And she continues to see that as the, as the, the prophet has said, it will not run out. That there was continual provision from the Lord the whole time, however long that stretch of time happened to be. That God was faithful and God was, and God was taking care of everything. God was giving them, the, the, there was always enough sticks outside to build the fire. There was always enough water to mix with the, uh, the flour to cook it in the oil to, to make the, this bread. They were continually fed, continually cared for. And then her son dies. And the woman goes to Elijah He said, Did God send you here and take care of me for all this time just to bring my sins to light? And Elijah takes the boy and he goes up to his chamber and, he, and Scripture says uh, he laid his body down upon him and prayed to the Lord to bring the, soul, the, the child's soul back into him, his spirit back into him. And he prayed three times, and then finally the boy came back to life, and he brings him downstairs and brings him down and presents him to his mother, and that's what we've just read. And the woman says, now I know. By, now, by this I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. We already had her seeing God's provision every day for however long a stretch of time it was. Believing that God was faithful until something came up that didn't fit her understanding of who God was. Didn't fit her understanding of God's provision and she began to doubt. So my question for all of us is, do we have things in our life? We're going along following the Lord. Everything is going great. We are seeing God's faithfulness in our lives. We're seeing God's faithfulness in our situations. And then all of a sudden something comes up that doesn't fit our understanding of God taking care of us. And we begin to doubt. Do we have situations that come up where all of a sudden we find ourselves utterly devastated or everything seems to go on apart? Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's, it's uh, turmoil in a relationship. Whatever the case happens to be, maybe it's division with a, within a family, whether a, you know, a husband and wife or just separation from brothers and sisters or whatever the case is, something comes up that doesn't fit our understanding of a loving God taking care of us. And we get there and we begin to doubt until God works us through it, until God brings us through it. And then just like this woman, we say, now I know, now I believe that you are from God. Now I believe that God is taking care of this situation. I'm here to tell you, having spent 72 days in a foreign jail, being completely isolated from everyone around me, uh, cut off from family, cut off from my nation, cut off from every person that I thought would be able to, to help me out, and realizing that the only person I had to rely on was God, and God was all I needed. I know God was all I needed because God was all I had. And I'm standing here today, and I'm no longer in a foreign jail. I'm no longer in a foreign country. God has shown himself mighty on my behalf. And I can tell you, when God is all you need, or when God is all you have, God is all you need. Which means when God is not all you have, God is still 
all you need. Now I know that God is the one who takes care of me. Now I know that God is the one who directs my steps because he has proved himself mighty on my behalf. This, this Sidonian woman, and it goes, uh, Jesus had talked to one place. He says there were plenty of widows in Israel, but God sent him to Sidon. God sent, him, God sent Elijah to Seraphath. Why did he do that? Well, we find out why he did that a little bit later in the scripture, though it's not specifically worded out, worded out that way. It's when God tells Elijah to go and show himself to Ahab and say, meet me at Mount Carmel. It's when he goes to do that and he runs into one of the king's uh, advisors and says, tell Ahab this is where I am. He's like, no, 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 no. You're just trying to get me killed. Because the the the... God, Ahab sent his people throughout the entire land. They searched the whole land of Israel for Elijah because Ahab wanted him so bad. But Elijah wasn't in Israel. Elijah was in Zarephath. Elijah was in Sidon because that's where God had him. Because that was the provision God had. Got him completely out of the picture. Things we don't necessarily understand. Why God is doing the things that he's doing doesn't mean it's not part of God's plan. God is still at work. And I know that and I understand that and I see it in Scripture and I see it in my own life. Things that didn't seem to make sense. I'm from the South, y'all. I grew up in the Everglades. You know? And yet here I am. You know, you can just about... It's a little farther than chucking a rock, but just up the road's the Canadian border. My closest family member of a family that I'm not married into is a thousand miles from here. Not just two or three. A thousand. And that's the closest one. And that's the one that lives farthest away except for me. Or second farthest because one out in Texas. Of course, I got another one that spends half his time between Alaska and Texas. So we don't really count him. He's like... You have to go over another country to get back to our country when you go to Alaska. But being way, way, way aware, away from where anyone would expect that God had a plan and a purpose. If God hadn't sent me up here, I wouldn't have met Debbie. If God hadn't sent me up here, I wouldn't have met Howard. If I hadn't met Howard, the chances of me being the pastor of this church are extremely slim. Because when I came up here, this was a Methodist church. And Howard was the first non-denominational pastor of the former Methodist church. And Howard was the one who turned his church over to me. God putting things together. woman says, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Now I know, and now I understand, that God is doing something that looks, that doesn't make sense at the time, is behind the scenes, but God is, is showing who he is in the midst of everything. In Exodus 18, beginning with verse 7. You know, in Exodus 18... Children of Israel are in the wilderness. God has delivered them out of Egypt. God has taken them to the mountain of the Lord. God has given them the Ten Commandments. Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, found the children of Israel had made a golden calf. 
Moses got mad, threw down the Ten Commandments, ground up the golden calf, made him drink it, and went back up to the mountain and God gave him another copy of the Ten Commandments. All of these things have happened before we get to, to Exodus 18. Exodus 18, beginning with verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which, which the Lord had done for Israel, whom the Lord had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. For Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for this very thing which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Moses' father-in-law Jethro was a priest in Midian. Midian wasn't serving Jehovah. Moses' father-in-law was a priest of a pagan religion. And Moses told them what had happened, how God had delivered them. And this pagan priest says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing which they behaved proudly, he was above them. This priest of a pagan god heard the testimony of what God had done, and he said, now I know. Sometimes all it takes is hearing what God has done to touch and turn a person's heart. Never underestimate what God can do through your testimony. Never underestimate what God can do in somebody's life if you give him the praise for what he has done. Some people have to see it time and time again and have it, have, have it presented in different ways. Other people just need to hear. Now I know. Now I understand. What can God do through your testimony in somebody else's life? Don't know, but guess what? One day I will know even as also I am known. One day when I'm standing in heaven, that I have that promise and I grab onto that promise. One day I will know even as also I am known. One day I will understand. God, why did you let me walk through this? Well, I used what you went through there. First off, I strengthened you because I've already promised to cause all things to work together to them who love the Lord. To them who are the called according to his purpose. The things we go through in our lives, if we love the Lord, God has promised to cause it to work together for good. If we are called according to his purpose, God has promised to work together for good. God has promised to work things not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. Years ago, in fact, Howard was still the pastor here, it's that long ago, which this is our, we're finishing up our 17th year as the pastor of this church. I was pastoring this church, but many years ago we showed up back, that was back in the days when we had a much larger congregation. We showed up at 8 o'clock for choir practice, followed by Sunday school, followed by service. We got here, the ground was bare. 
by the time we got done with service, we had about 15 inches of snow outside. It was a little exciting. And we're heading home, and they hadn't really plowed Route 2 very well. And Debbie and I are following Howard and Joan. It was in my last car or my second to last car. I say that because since then it's been like eight trucks. So it was that long ago. It's at least nine vehicles ago. And we're leaving here that Sunday and... and uh, Route 2, like I said, is not plowed well. There's, uh, it's not good at all. And there was somebody coming toward us the other direction, coming south on Route 2 as we were going north. We had just passed uh, where Summit Road comes down. And there had been a power station right there on top of that hill. But right up the road here, around a couple of curves, those of you that are familiar with the area, those sitting here and those listening online that have been here, and we're driving north, and, and a vehicle comes from the other way. And, I'm, you know, the road's really narrow. And I eased over just a little bit to the right, and I got caught in that snow. And it dragged us right over into the ditch. And my loving bride looks up at me from the low side of the car and says, You never, ever pull over for somebody in the snow. You stop and make them go around you. Okay, important note. <coughs> So we're down in the ditch, we're way down on her side, and uh, have to climb out, open the door and climb. I have to help her get up out, climb onto the car so we can climb up over the bank. And, and Howard, gave Debbie, Howard and Joan gave Debbie a ride home, and they dropped me at Rich's house up on Sitter Bay Road and called a tow truck. And as I called the tow truck, actually first I called the state police, and the state police said, Were any, was anyone injured? I said, no. He said, well, we have too many injuries to worry about a non-injured accident, so call a tow truck, get it taken care of, you know, and go from there. So we called a tow truck, and it's like four hours later when the tow truck gets there. So I'm sitting around hanging out with, uh, with Rich and Robin and, and spending time on their couch. And the tow truck finally gets there. And I get in with the tow truck, and we go back to get the car. And as we're coming down the road, he says, is that your car? I'm like, no. He said, that's kind of funny. And we get a little closer and we come to find out that someone else had gone off the road and landed on top of my car. Totaled my car while it was in the ditch un un unharmed, but totaled my car. And it's not until a few days later when the, uh, the, the snow melted and I was over here and I realized that right in front of where my car was, was where a pipe came through. A, pipe came, a drainage pipe came through under the road, and the other side, and, and the, the lake was up because of snow melt and thing like, things like that. And had my car not been there, from the angle that that vehicle was, it was a van, from the angle it was for that van, that van would have been sliding, hit that pipe, and flipped over upside down in the flood and potentially killed somebody. And I realized that my car being there quite possibly saved someone's life. God says he will cause all things to work together for good to them who love him, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
We don't know the situation. We don't know the status of that person's heart. We don't know whether or not they actually would have died, but there was absolutely the, the potential there. But my car, our car was in the ditch. Had it not been there, there was potential for much, much greater damage to, to the, the other person. God is at work even when we don't recognize the situation, even when we don't know what's coming on. But having that confidence that now I know that God is at work, I have a whole different attitude. You imagine the attitude of a non-believer whose car is undamaged, just down in a ditch, just needs a little bit of nudge and is out of there, and all of a sudden comes back and their car is totaled. Somebody who didn't have the peace of God, somebody who didn't have the confidence that God is in control, that God is at work in the circumstances. Can you imagine? But God is at work. And we know that. We see it in our own lives. We see it in so many different ways. We just read about um, Moses telling his father-in-law Jethro, this priest of Midian, this priest of a pagan gods, who then, having heard the testimony, says, now I know that your God is above all gods. Had that testimony, had the life changed. Second Kings 5, beginning with verse 13, says, And a servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, Wash and be cleaned? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take this gift from your servant. Maybe you recognize the passage from that little bit right there. Naaman the Syrian, captain, uh, captain of the Syrian army, had leprosy. And his wife had a, uh, a slave girl who was an Israelite who told him, there is a prophet of God. Oh, that my father would, you know, oh, that my father, oh, that my master would go down because there's a prophet of God who will tell you what you need to do to be healed. Because none of the doctors around, none of his, you know, he was uh, a uh, general in the Syrian army. Syrians had their idols that they worshipped. They had their, their doctors. They had all of this. And nobody was able to help him out. He had leprosy. But this little girl's faith said... In the middle of her captivity, in the middle of her captivity, said, if you go talk to the, to the prophet, if you go inquire of the Lord through the prophet, he will tell you what you need to do. And he will heal you. In the middle of her captivity, she had faith that God would work. And he did. Naaman the Syrian goes, he inquires, you know the story, Elisha won't even go out and talk to him. This captain, this general of the Syrian army comes knocking at the door with an inquiry. And Elisha says, sends his servant out to tell him what to do. And he says, the servant goes out, Gehazi goes out and says, my master said, go dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be clean. And he got mad. 
He said, why should I go dip in the Jordan? The Jordan's muddy. The Jordan's nasty. Why you have good rivers at home? Yeah, maybe so, but you don't have people at home that worship God. And the servant says, my master, if he told you to do something extraordinary, wouldn't you have done it? Excuse me. Wouldn't you have done it? Why not do a simple thing? And he did the simple thing. He swallowed his pride and did the simple thing that the prophet told him to do. And when he was willing to humble himself, when he was willing to do the simple thing, God intervened in his life. And he goes back and says, now I know. What, it what does it take for us to believe? What does it take for the people around us to believe? I don't know. I praise God that He got through to me and He got through to each and every one of us to cause us to come into relationship with Him. But we are in this world. We are, we are interacting with people around us who need to hear our testimony, who need to see our, see our faith, who need to recognize that there is a God in heaven. What will it take for them to say, now I know, now I believe. What will it take? We don't know. God knows. In the meantime, we are called to walk out our faith no matter what our situation. Naaman's wife's slave girl in captivity pointed the way to the prophet, to point the way to tell him, the prophet who would tell him about God, that God might be able to heal him. Um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, a priest, a pagan priest in Midian, heard the testimony and says, now I know. This Sidonian woman from Zarephath, this widow woman who has seen God's provision every day, it took the death and resurrection of her son. But she said, now I know. What will it take? We don't know. All we know is we are called to be living epistles. We are called to be faithful witnesses of what God has done in our lives. That he might take even the turmoil we go through and cause it to work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That he might use my life, that he might use your life to impact the lives of others because the scripture tells us he wants to hold us up as trophies of his grace. As, as Look what I did with this one. Praise God. The things we go through aren't wasted. But yet God is at work in us and through us. He calls us and he, he, we're called to be vessels fit for the master's use that he might work through us. Um, in John 4, beginning with verse 39. John 4, beginning to verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word that the woman who testified, he told me that I, all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. 
Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of that which you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus had gone to the woman that had been at the well in Samaria. They were on their way to uh, Jerusalem. Jesus, scripture says Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Generally, the Jews walked around that area. They didn't go through it. He must, by needs, go through Samaria. And he went to Samaria and sent the disciples into, into town to, to buy something to eat. And he's by the well, and there's this woman at, woman at the well. You know the story. Uh, she's a social outcast. She's had five husbands and is shacking up with the sixth guy. She's not welcome in polite society. And Jesus talking talks to her. And she goes, and she goes and tells them in the city, come meet the Messiah. Isn't, he's told me everything I've ever done. Isn't this the promised one? And some believed from her testimony. Others believed when they heard Jesus talking, when they came and they met him themselves. Some believed before they ever got to meet Jesus. Some believed from her testimony. Some will believe from your testimony. Some people have to go through certain things or some situation, some devastation, some whatever, for God to get their attention. But there are some that will believe when we share what God has done. I uh, saw the thing again this morning. I shared it again this, uh, today. Pendulette. Well-known atheist. And one of his famous quotes, it says, How much do you have to hate somebody if you believe that there is a path to eternal life and you won't bother to tell them? We're called to give our testimony. Even an atheist calling us to give our testimony of what God has done, of the hope that is within us. Praise the Lord. In Mark... 15, beginning with verse, actually beginning with verse 37. Oh, that's why I have all that up there, because I wrote on there and then got the scripture passage. So Mark, in 27 to 39, Jesus is being led out to be, to be, uh, to be crucified. He's led out between two thieves that the scripture might be fulfilled, that he was numbered among the transgressors. He gets there, he's nailed to the cross, they put him up, they hang him up there, uh, and some of the disciples, or some of the, uh, the Pharisees begin mocking him, it's like, you know, he saved others, let him save himself. said, let him come down from the cross that we might believe that he is the Christ. And then from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. Jesus on a cross... They said, let him come down that we might believe he is, the, he is the Christ. And then suddenly it's dark in the noonday. And for three hours it's dark. Till finally three hours later, at the ninth hour, he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why, have thou, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those sitting around says, listen, he calls for Elijah. Somebody wanted to give him a, uh, uh, the sponge with the sour wine, with the vinegar and hyssop, to give him the sponge. And others were like, no, 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 leave him alone. We'll see if Elijah's going to come get him. 
And then Jesus says, it is finished. And, the, and the, there's an earthquake. And you know from Scripture that the stones rolled away from tombs and dead man got up and walking around and the, um, the, uh, the veil in the temple is ripped from the top to the bottom. All of these things happen. You have all of these people who know the Scripture standing around, but it's a centurion servant. It's a centurion soldier who says, Surely this was the Son of God. What does it take to get through? What does it take to reach that point? Surely, this was the Son of God. Now I believe. All of those who knew the Scripture standing around still refused to believe, had the blinders over their eyes, and refused to accept it. But this pagan, this Roman soldier, said, this was the Son of God. That's what it took in his heart. Final passage of Scripture, John 9. We're going to start reading from verse 24, but John 9 is the, uh, the man that was born blind. And he asked for mercy, and Jesus said, What should I do for you? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus put on the, spit on the ground and made mud and put it on his eyes and and told him to wash. And when he washed, he could see. And he's going around giving testimony that he had been healed. Now, this happened on the Sabbath day. So the, the scribes and Pharisees come around him and want to know who this person was. He's like, I don't know. And they talk back and forth among themselves. It's on the, it's on the Sabbath day. It couldn't have possibly been somebody... Uh, Somebody from God. Nobody from God would do that. Nobody from God would ignore our rules. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God glory. We know that this man was a sinner. What does it take to get us to say, Surely this was the Son of God? What does it take to get us to say, Now I believe? Verse 25. And he answered, whether he is a sinner or, or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did, he, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. For we know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to him, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opening the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They saw and refused to believe because it didn't fit their narrative. Oh, Lord, let that never be my, let that never be me. We know, Lord God, that 
You can do all things. There is nothing too hard for you. And just because my mind can't comprehend how or why you would do something along those lines, I stand in faith knowing that you are God over all. There is nothing too hard for you. All of your ways are beyond finding out. As we read in our devotional this morning, as heavens are above the earth, so is God's ways above my ways and God's thoughts above my thoughts. God is the one who sees the end from the beginning, who knows what it takes to touch and to turn the hearts of men. And anything we go through is part of the tapestry he is weaving in our lives. Any situation we face is what God is doing, and he's working it for our good and for the good of all those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. That we might be pillars of testimony, that we might be trophies of grace, that we might be faithful witnesses showing the grace and love and mercy of God so that in their hearts they can say, now I believe, now I understand, now I know that God is God. Lord, use us to be lights in this generation, to be salt and light, to be... To be living epistles written in our hearts to be the only Jesus so many people will see walking this earth, to be examples of holiness and righteousness, to be your hands and feet extended. Father, use us so that others may see. Now I see. Now I know. Now I believe. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit glbcdt.org.